Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, the only industrial safety podcast that brings you common sense advice on job site safety, standards, regulations, and industry best practices without putting you to sleep. Welcome to Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, the only safety-related podcast guaranteed not to put you to sleep. Maybe not guaranteed. Well, we're going to do a, a loose guarantee. We're <laughs> yeah. not liable, not liable for any yeah. of this, but yeah. it's Fred Redunzel and Dave White here with Quad City Safety. Um, we are on all your social media platforms. You can reach out to Dave and I. We're both on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter at QC Safety Fred. Dave's not quite on Twitter yet, so we'll see if we can get him on there someday, but... Otherwise, he'll uh, just... Don't, don't think I'm going to tweet. You, gonna... you can fax me, though. <laughs> fax, I'll throw out that fax number. It's 563-445-2171. All right, so today, the topic of the day is, uh, is walking, working surfaces and what you need to know. So, Dave, why don't you uh, give us a little story to get us started, what our beak. Uh, you know, back in the day, I was a stripper. I had heard that. Yep, that's... That's actually a true statement. You're talking about paint? paint uh, more towards floors. So basically, I spent. Uh, oh, I stepped on your joke. Baby. Yeah, yeah, kind of did, but you know, <laughs> man can dream. So, with that said, uh, so I would have been, I don't know, late teens, 17, 18, 19 years old, and I uh, worked for a company, and basically, we stripped floors. And I'll tell you what, when you put ammonia, straight ammonia down on a wax floor and then try to walk on it, yeah, that is not a walking, working surface. <laughs> I mean, it is a surface that you will definitely fall and bust your ass on. Because basically, you know, the uh, ammonia breaks down that wax. And I mean, it is a complete skate rink until you come back and kind of, uh, you get your little uh, orbital sweepers there you know sitting there going back and forth with steel wool and it breaks all that up and then you pick it up and then you can actually walk on it and throw okay. the wax down but tearing that wax up was you know one of those things that uh we did that you know there was really uh no good way to plan around it other than to try to not walk on it and somehow you would always end up on the wrong side of things and have to walk through it and it was a long night when you would literally fall and get sopping wet and see the wax would already release so once you hit you were almost like sopping wet with ammonia just that smell but then you had loose wax so it looked like somebody had hawked a loogie you know like a major sized five pound loogie across you and you'd walk around with that stuff all night yeah yeah so so it was uh one that uh you know, when I start thinking about walking, working surfaces, you know, one of the main things to really always think about is, you know, coefficient of friction would be a good good way to put it from safety nerd speak, which is coefficient of friction basically deals with the fact that uh, just like sandpaper, so when it hits something, it's going to grip. So that's kind of kind of my backward story of to kind of feed into the whole walking, working surface walking work surfaces did i ever tell you the story about when i was a ball boy for the semi-pro basketball team that we have in the quad cities 
for the Thunder. My dad, the Thunder. Was, the, my dad was the general manager of the Quad City Thunder. Right on. Um, and I was a ball boy. And so that periodically, besides being like the player's bitch to go get him a candy bar or upstairs <laughs> and get him a hot dog and do that, you got to rebound for the players. Yeah, some Class C NBA flunkies. Yeah. Well, this was like guys would get call-ups to the NBA. So this was more like a guy didn't quite get drafted into the NBA. Okay. And then he would go. So it wasn't completely like right, way like scrub, Jimmy way King scrub. was on the team. Okay. So he was a Fab Five member, but he wasn't like. Jalen Rose, he yeah. wasn't Chris Webber, he was like the fifth. Howard. He was like the fifth. I of think the he was the part. fourth guy, <laughs> but the fifth guy was also in the CBA. He was also in the thing. So I was rebounding, I believe, for Jimmy King. And anyways, he shoots one up, bounces off the rim. I go sprinting after it, and the guy had just mopped the floor right there. So I go jaunting after it, and I sprint for the ball hit this wet spot and my legs do the complete splits. <laughs> the complete splits, my body cocks to one side and I snap my femur in half. So my femur just snaps. So at that time, if it would have been like a year sooner, I would have been in a full body cast, but they had just developed like putting metal rods inside the bone, which I'm assuming they still use now. So metal rod went inside my femur, a couple screws, nine months later I was good to go. But anyways, do you go off and metal? Like, no, it's not there. We were flying today. Did you? Oh, so it didn't stay there. Yep. Nope. They took it out like another eight or nine months later. So it was like basketball season. I heard it. Football season. I got to be a little bit better, but couldn't play football. And then by the next basketball season, I was ready to go again. And so that was that was in there. But that was my working surface that day. That was a little slick. So yeah. So I took a nice spill. So anyways. Why don't we explain uh, what a walking, working surface is? Well, working surfaces are obviously anything that we're kind of, you know, moving around on. But, you know, also we have, you know, changes in elevation as, you know, changing floors. So, you know, when we're talking about uh, a walking work surface, you know, some of the edges, you know, there can be a leading edge, there can be a hole in the floor. So there's a lot of... You know, it's part of it is just the floor and how we maintain it and, and trying to keep it safe, you know, making sure that it, there's not a lot of debris around, making sure that there's not oils, food oils, um, you know, anything that could cause it to be slick uh, to happen. But, you know, that's where kind of the, sometimes this walking work surfaces, as it, you know, OSHA refers to and just recently redid, um, you know, some of the changes within the standard is you know it's it's uh probably not the best labeling for it and that it's not intuitive to to some of the other stuff that it has to deal with you know whether it's you know the scaffolding whether it's ladders uh descent items anchorage testing and stuff that's kind of encapsulated in some of those revisions um okay so is that so that's pretty much the revision no, well, the walking work surfaces revision that just happened, you know, some of them, you know, like, uh, you know, those traditional, those ladders, I, you know, I call them cheese grater ladders where, you know, you have a ladder with kind of a, uh, a cage around it, you know, so that, you know, basically I, I'm not going to get, the, I'm not going to get it exactly right off the top of my head, but above 25, 26 feet, Traditionally, if a ladder was going to be above that, you kind of had to have that uh, cage around it. And now they're trying to work away from, you know, a, you know, the cages into, you know, 
do we have some type of you know ladder climbing system you know whether it's use of an SRL or it can be actually you know like uh, there's manufacturers out there like DBI has one of the ones that's been around for a while they're like in wind towers and stuff called the lad safe so it's actually a cable that goes up to the la- goes you know kind of up the middle of the ladder and then when you're climbing you would have a device on your chest that kind of hooks into there so you're going up or you know the other thing that i mentioned is having a srl that we pull that tagline down hook into our dorsal d and then we're able to climb safely up there because anybody that's you know they they kind of over time figured out that when people fell in those those ladder systems is once you fell i mean you got tangled up into it and it kind of you know it kind of chew you up break bones and you know kind of spit you out the end i mean it really wasn't really wasn't kind of a you know a true fall protection type you know uh, as much as you know when you look at a ladder that's its biggest misconception that people don't understand is safety on a ladder requires you know uh, three points of contact so when we talk about those three points of contact it is physically feet and hands um, I guess technically from a balancing standpoint you know you could argue that you know using the torso to some degree but usually unless you're in certain situations that's not going to happen so if you're climbing trying to carry something you know you're, you're not going to be complying with that three points of contact okay to that point people can't just ignore it for the next 15 years and then all of a sudden you start approaching that you're going to have quite the cost that's going to show up if you don't start yeah, planning yeah. for it now well yeah i mean you can you can look at i mean it's hundreds of dollars per Per individual ladder system. And then it says stairway workers who may be exposed to unprotected cider edges within with four feet or more fall potential must be protected by guardrails or stair rail system. That's just firming it up is all it is. Is it? I mean Has that always been the case in a stairwell? If there's I guess if there's an unprotected side you're four feet up, you're still gonna be under yeah. fall protection system. Okay. Well I mean it's 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 uh, going towards a passive system. Some of this other stuff that that lists on here, I guess I always assumed that was, a, you know, that already was the standard. So. Well, some of it's it's how to say it's just firming up some of it, and and some of it has been district, and you still have kind of those variances between, um, nineteen ten and nineteen twenty six okay. that exist. But one of them that is in here is uh, that people yeah. are really not when when we're talking about permanent permanent anchorage okay. is. Um, there is kind of verbiage in there that they need to be uh, inspected, but it, it actually uh, says certify. And there's not a lot of ways to, you know, when you sit there and talk about certifying an anchor point is um, you have certified and non-certified. Majority of the anchor points that exist out there today are non-certified. So they they hit that five thousand pound threshold requirement, and uh, so to be you know, certified, pers- though, you just got that paperwork behind it, or is it to state it? Well, to be a certified anchor point, yes, you would have to have, you know, you you would have to have an engineer kind of go, this is what the substrate is, and here's the fastener that's put in it, and pursuant to my magical mathematical uh, 
equation that I work out, yes, it will support twice the intended load versus a non-certified, which is, you know, most of the anchor points out there that when we talk about a non-certified anchor point is going to be that, uh, you know, standard anchor point that you buy from just about every fall protection manufacturer out there and then self-install it okay. to get that 5,000 pound threshold. Okay. How about... But you'd have to, but again, certification is, so if you have something that's put in there and you don't really have never had a structural engineer look at anything and sign off anything, you know, there is, there is a device out there called the Vera 5000 that you can, you can do a test to see if it would actually sustain that or withhold that 5,000 pounds okay. and then be able to certify that anchor point based on, you know, that, that caveat. I've heard people talking a little bit more like in regards to scaffolding and kind of what are the, I just see scaffolding listed on this thing, so I know that's something that's come up that the, maybe the standards have changed a little bit in regards to well, that. Or not really. Well, how to say? I'm, I'm I don't even know what the rules sca- are. Scaffolding is a tricky scaff- one to me, is you know how high they they can be, you know uh, who constructed them. Do you have like parts for you know yeah, uh, from one manufacturer to the other? That's one that to to be honest with you, I'm not I'm not the most well versed on. Okay. How about any opinion on kind of penny pinching on some of these areas? Because I, I would think that this is kind of a category that people really could pinch pennies versus making like these super large investments um, on some of this equipment. Um, you know, like when you sit there and look at uh, like the ladder systems and stuff, some of it can just be utilizing SRLs because if we have, you know, uh, let's say we're utilizing a ladder system on a building and it's something that we're up there like once a year. Well, we still have that first man up clause. So okay. somebody could actually, you know, if we were going to have some people up doing stuff on a roof and we had to climb that ladder, you theoretically could utilize, you know, that SRL for each person to climb. First person climbs, first man up. And then everybody else uses that SRL and then kind of, theoretically go around installing a ladder system for every single ladder that you may have on a building so you know there there's 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 things like that but you know again there's there's no there's no cheap things and the best the best way to do it is is to uh kind of plan for it but make sure that you're looking at you know the frequency would probably be the the driver of you know expenditure okay so maybe the song, the best things in life are free, but you can leave them to the birds and bees. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to touch on the uh, permanent anchor systems or the well, when you, certified One of the things ones? that's in there that, it, you know, it kind of talks about, you know, anchor, anchor systems and certification is you got non-certified and certified anchor points. Your certified anchor points you know, is something where you've gone in and, and done your due diligence to make sure that you figure out, okay, I know what the substrate is, I know what I'm installing it and how I'm installing it, and I know that I'm going to limit fall arresting forces to X, and then I put my safety factor in, and an engineer kind of signs off on that. Right. So you can have some level of certification there, but, you know, you have a lot of anchor points out there that are really non-certified. So, you know, you really haven't had a structural engineer or, you know, somebody that has that, you know, 
level of expertise to come in there and sign off of it. You know, every construction site and in most general industry applications, when you look at anchor points, nobody's really, you know, evaluated or tested, pull tested them. And, you know, there are devices out there now, like the Vera 5000 is one that, that exists where people can actually, you know, load test or, you know, apply, you know, a, a dynamic weight amount to a anchor point to see if it actually does what it's supposed to do and therefore, you know, certify that anchor point. And, but there is kind of a provision that those need to be done on an annual basis that okay. exists. And, you know, again, how does we... Uh, we try to inspect everything and make sure that we test it. So it's something that should be kind of added to, you know, the uh, how to, you know, the if we're annually looking at uh, whether it's our bodyware or our horizontal lifelines or whatever, we have that competent person inspecting it. You know, anchor paint points also need some level of diligence and are often kind of overlooked after they're installed. Nobody kind of goes back and looks at them is all of this kind of across all standards like or is this mostly for general industry loosely it's about construction l- and loosely it's there but it, you know again i'll go back to the whole general duty clause is you know anytime that there's a best practice that that's out there it should be incorporated if you're in that type of hazard okay is yet no i mean can they uh, typically you know in a construction environment they're not going to cite you under 1910 but you know that going under that whole general duty clause i mean how to say something uh, a behavior that causes an accident that becomes uh that they show up and do a report on there doesn't have to be just a a specific standard that they cite you on they can just say again going back to the the uh, logic that we said is if you speed through the school zone dick you knew better yeah you you should have yeah, I mean, this is common sense level shit you should have known. Everybody, what when they feel unsafe or they see somebody doing, un, you know, uh, unsafe behavior or something, you know, let's say they see something they don't think it's rigged right, they should stop work immediately. Right. And we, you know, there's some job sites that have that where, you know, anybody on the job site can blow the whistle and everybody must stop and come out and evaluate it. That's that's not a bad thing, right? That's got that means everybody's eyes are on safety. It's not doesn't become well. It's not my job. The safety manager will come out and tell me. Right. That's a thing that you hear so much about it, but that's a culture. Yeah, that's, that's behavioral really, based safety. You know, yeah, that's, that's a culture thing. So that somebody feels like I might be costing the company some money here because I have to delay this job for whatever reason. But I'm not. I'm going to go home to my family today. And yeah, someone's got a problem with that. You don't want to work for that company. Yeah, they're likely, assholes. Anyways, right? I mean, who would want to wake up and do that? Is you know, long as you paint, you know, your four hundred foot of building a day, right. who gives a shit how Sam's you get it Club done? Sam's Club Red. You got the whole bucket. You're ready to rock. Yeah. Davy needs his hash browns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Davy like hash browns. <laughs> so let's let's comb through the big uh, email box this week. I ask you a couple questions here. Number one. Can leading edge retractables be used in non-leading edge applications? Yeah, it's pretty much a simple answer, right? Yeah. The re- I mean, the differentiation between a leading edge and not—it's just a, a, it's better for some applications. So you might have to look at yeah, fall mean, clearance, or there might be some applications where you wouldn't use the same equipment. 
You're usually looking at extended free fall. Yeah. You know, is is again, it's getting to you know, you're trying to limit fall arresting forces. Okay. I know sometimes I'll get I, the the main reason why I think this question came up was they're looking at costs. They're like, well, I have to spend this extra money to get this leading edge certified retractable. Am I going to be able to use that like in other applications that aren't leading edge because I don't want to have to buy two? Yeah, in most cases, you know, SRLs are designed to 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 lock up anyway. So if it's a leading edge SRL, they're doing similar things. It's just calculating the fact that you're going to have free fall. Okay. And if you have free fall, you know, making sure that uh, again going back to limiting those fall arresting forces within the amount allowable. Okay. Number two, when should I wear a metatarsal boot versus wearing a regular steel boot? Well, I mean, again, that's kind of the the judgment call of, you know, the the employer or whoever's wearing them. But typically, if we're, you know, around material that uh, is moving or can roll, um, those are situations where you're going to want to, you know, maybe a little bit more of a, you know, a metatarsal uh, drop hazards where, I mean, when you really look at it, theoretically, the better way to go is going to be metatarsals. Okay, maybe before we even go further into that, just depend, I don't know who's all listening to this, but maybe explain what a metatarsal is. I know when well, I first got to safety, that's something I really didn't know. Okay, well, a steel cap is really, uh, we'll call it, toe protection so that that steel toe is it's a it's a cap and it can be steel it can be um, made of different materials even down to plastics so composite type plastics fiberglasses so it is meant to again keep if something drops from you know crushing toes or potentially you know uh basically damaging your toes you know your your digits down there toes are kind of important without them you can't really stand up or walk yeah, i guess i don't understand why versus a metatarsal yeah is covering um when you get into the foot right right past the toes there's bones called the metatarsal bones so there's i believe there's four four metatarsal bones that if something hits those you can break break those also okay so it gives you gives you that extended uh, coverage farther back versus a steel toe is realistically going to handle your toes so but if something hits farther you know a little bit farther back you can fracture you can actually fracture those metatarsal bones so what is like a you mentioned like something rolling so like what's like an application where you wouldn't need metatarsal like protection again it's going to be a judgment call okay. there's there's no like med, magic recipe like, how can i be like because a oh, lot of that can a, only a, hit my toes a lot that of times hit. people historically didn't like metatarsals because uh some of the newer technologies are out, that are out there are more pliable or you know they bend better before right. it was literally like you had a, a steel toe and then you had a plates you know basically the tongue had a the tongue outside of the tongue of the shoe. There was a big metal sl- piece that yeah. kind of folded over the top. Yeah, it's like a metal piece of pizza and, sitting. Yeah, on the top and then Gen foot. two, they kind of padded it a little bit, and then Gen three was they went with uh, uh, 
they'd call it like an armadillo so it was plates so that it would kind of bend a little bit then gen 4 they got into some of these uh space age uh material material thing you hit it with a hammer and it and it it gets hard you know so so there's all kinds of technology that have gone in gone into it to where now you can have something that's rated as metatarsal that's still pretty pliable and you know It's not as hard to wear, but there's not really a magic recipe. Is is you just kind of got to figure out what you're doing and where you got that potential drop. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, how about number three here? What are your thoughts on requiring employees to wear FR flame retardant underwear? <laughs> got any thoughts on that? Whether what? it's bra, I've seen bras, I've seen panties, I've seen you know briefs. Well, here, here's the whole thing: is if you're going to put somebody in FR clothing, yeah, you have identified that. Well, there's a chance that they're going to be around a fire, right? And when you talk about whether it's a flash fire, so 2112, or an electrical arc, or a flash under 70E, there's a shitload of heat that we're talking about, and. <sighs> Bless you. I tried to get away from it. I, yeah. I couldn't. So the uh, the amount of heat that's produced, you know, obviously a lot of times consumes the material that, that you have on. Be, you know, when you look at 2112, if the garment does what it's supposed to, it's supposed to just limit body burn to uh, less than 50%. Okay. So if you have a garment on under that that can be consumed by fire it's not self-extinguishing right uh i would not want to have like my uh my under armor you know poly draws on and then experience you know one of those cataclysmic events yeah and then have you know a shrink wrap around my makes it into your nuts yes i mean that's just so, I mean, your undergarments, you just got to watch what you're wearing, you know. So, they're, they're saying a lot of times now is, you know, you want to have something that's that's arc rated or is specifically for it. Because historically they said, oh, I'll just wear, a, you know, a cotton garment. And they're, they're starting to say that as they look at the test data, that's not necessarily the best is uh, cotton could still ignite. All right. Well, that goes through the mailbox there. Um, until next week with that. So now we're going to go on to a, a word from our sponsors. Hey, Dave, if you have a gluten allergy and you're at work dealing with bloating, diarrhea, constipation, abdominal pain, headaches, or feeling just tired, and you're following your diet, did you ever think it could be your PPE? It could be. You ever heard? Well, we got a solution for you. Bacon's gluten-free PPE. <laughs> We fall protection, we got it. Hand protection, got it. Head protection, got it. Now what I want you to do is I want you to try taking your regular PPE out of service for two to three weeks and just replace it with our all-natural gluten-free PPE. It'll make a major change with your tummy troubles. <laughs> Bacon's gluten-free PPE. Protect your insides while protecting your outsides. Dave and Bacon Safety Tales is not liable for the validity of this product. Oh, if it sounds too good to be true, guys, it probably is. All right. Well, that's it for us today. We may make light of safety topics we discuss here, 
but we're just trying to raise awareness about the simple, often overlooked real-life safety issues that have had devastating consequences to hardworking guys and gals for far too long. If we can make some of the confusion and misinterpretations surrounding safety regulations even a little bit uh, more sensible to one person, then our time here is well spent. So thanks guys once again for putting up with us all of our technical difficulties as we figure out what the hell we're doing. Um, we really like hearing what you have to say. So leave us some comments, ask some questions. We may even answer them on the show. Jump into our Quad City Safety uh, social media conversations, um, whether it's uh, commenting on a blog post, we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, and just get involved. So once again, safety has no quitting time. Until next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening in to Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, brought to you by Quad City Safety. Send us your questions on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter at Quad City Safety. Hashtag Safety Tales. Or email them to Fred at quadcitysafety.com. He's the guy keeping this mess of a show in line. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's a kick-ass way to show that you care about safety.